All right. Hope you're doing well this morning. We're going to continue this uh, third week of the series we've been walking through. We're calling it The Experience. And we're basically uh, walking through this series saying, what do you experience when you experience church? And so uh, we're going to talk about prayer. And really, what do we experience in prayer? What do we believe about prayer? And why is prayer such a central part? And it's Jesus himself that actually teaches us about prayer and how to pray. And so we're going to do that this morning. Now, the greatest victory so far for me is that I actually remembered from my backpack to here to put my glasses on. So I can see the sermon this morning. Um, I won't be actually making a bunch of stuff up as I'm talking this morning. It actually is in front of me. So it, it actually has the potential to be a pretty good sermon this morning. So that's, that's pretty exciting. If you have your Bibles, Luke chapter 11 is where we're going to be. If you know the Lord's Prayer, you'll know it's found in Luke chapter 11, and it's found in Matthew chapter 6. We're going to walk through Luke chapter 11 and reference Matthew 6 in just a few minutes as we talk about prayer. Why is it a central part? Now, let me give you a heads up. Because this is a little bit of a shorter message than I normally preach. Be quiet. No cheering. All right. Not nice. Not nice. Um, But here's why. Because at the end of this, we want to go ahead and like right away practically put into play what we're talking about this morning. And so at the end of this message, I'm inviting the praise team to come up. They're going to kind of uh, lead us a little bit in some, some background music. And then... We're just going to pray. We're going to give you the freedom to pray however you'd like, in whatever position and posture and whatever way. We just want to give you freedom to go before God this morning. I'll talk more about that uh, at the end. So uh, give enough time to get to those scriptures. All right. Uh, There's a story uh, about the Chicago Bears I learned when I was living in Chicago a few years back. The coach, uh, Mike Ditka, back in the 80s, uh, he was preparing like this pregame pep talk, and he wanted someone to close out the pep talk by saying the Lord's Prayer. So who does he ask to say the Lord's Prayer? But he, uh, he leans on uh, William the Refrigerator Perry, if you remember. All 350 pounds of this guy. He says to Perry, he says, hey, when I get done, I, w- I want you to lead the team in the Lord's Prayer. Is that okay? And Perry's like, yeah, sure, no problem. So Ditka gives a speech, and while the speech is going on, and if you know Mike Ditka, it was a very animated, uh, fun speech— The quarterback, Jim McMahon, he leans over to a teammate. Now, Jim McMahon was kind of known as a prankster and a jokester anyway, and he leans over to a teammate, John Cassis, and he says, hey, I bet you 50 bucks the fridge has no idea what the Lord's Prayer is. And John uh, John Cassis is like, well, of course he does. Everybody knows that. I'll take that bet. So Dickie gets done with his talk and turns to the fridge, and the fridge gets very reverent on him, and he invites everyone to kneel, and he kneels in the center, and they kneel around him, and he says this, now I lay me down to sleep, I pray the Lord my soul to keep, and if I die before I wake, and about this time, Cassis gets the tap on the shoulder from Jim McMahon, who's just kind of grinning and excited, and he goes, Man, I owe you 50 bucks. I didn't know he knew the Lord's Prayer. (laughs) Well, this morning, whether you know the Lord's Prayer or you don't, whether you're kind of new to church or, or you've been a believer for a long time, I hope this morning that you see this prayer that Jesus teaches with fresh eyes in a new way today. 
Now, before we jump into this prayer, I want to give you a little context, like a little bit of the backstory, uh, if I can here, so that you can kind of get caught up on what is it that the disciples are longing for Jesus to actually teach them. So you have to understand that uh, if you were a Jewish boy or girl, that you were actually taught to pray a couple prayers. The first one is called the Shema, and it comes from the book of Deuteronomy. It starts in in Deuteronomy chapter 6 with verse 4, and it's familiar words to you how it begins. It says this, Listen, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord alone, or the Lord is one, you might know it that way. And you must love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. And this word like for strength or might, as you might know it in Hebrew, is medeka. And this is what it literally means. With all of your muchness. With all of your muchness. Every ounce of your being. So like your heart, your soul, everything is supposed to love the Lord your God. Now a Jewish person would like minimally pray this two times a day. When they woke up and when they went to bed. But most would pray it up to seven times a day at seven different increments throughout the day as they went on their road, wherever they were, it would stay on the tip of their tongue, this recited prayer. But there was a, a, another prayer that they were taught. It was the uh, uh, Amida. And depending on kind of how religious you were, you would say this up to three times a day. This was longer. It was a set of like 18 or 19 different blessings. And you would recite these three times a day, 18 to 19 specific blessings. So if you're doing the math, right? Minimally, a Jewish person was saying like five different, reciting five different memorized prayers throughout the day. Most were probably doing it close to 10 times a day. Memorized, recited, certain times they would stop during their day for prayer. And if you read through the Gospels, so Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, if you read through those, you see time and time again that Jesus would actually retreat away to certain places and he would pray like on a hillside and he would be praying. Many times he'd be reciting these prayers. And if you follow the timeline of the Gospels, you'll find that after Jesus prayed, things happened. Like people were healed, people were fed, and people were set free, demons were cast out. Jesus would go pray, and incredible things would happen after Jesus prayed. Now, listen, if you're one of the disciples, right, and you're sitting around the campfire, Jesus is off praying somewhere. Don't you kind of wonder what he's saying? Aren't you thinking like, man, what is he accessing? Like, what, what is this power he's receiving? What's going on in that prayer time? I can imagine that. They're sitting around this fire and like one of the disciples is saying, man, what do you think he says? Like, what do you think he's accessing back there? And the other guy says like, I don't know. Why don't you just, why don't you go ask him? Well, I'm not going to ask him. You ask him. They go that back and forth thing, you know, that we like to do. And in Luke chapter 11, verse 1, like we get actually the biblical real story of this. Starting in verse 1, it says this. Once Jesus was in a certain place praying, as he finished, one of the disciples came to him and said, Lord, teach us to pray just as John taught his disciples. Now, you have to understand something. When you asked a rabbi, teach us to pray, you weren't just asking him like practical things like, you know, where do I go? How long do I pray? You know, like what position do I get in to pray? When you asked your rabbi, the person you had connected your life to, 
teach me how to pray. You're really asking him, what do you hope to accomplish with your ministry on earth? Like in business terms, you'd be like, what's your vision? What's your mission statement? Like maybe in the most understandable form, you're like, like what gets you up in the morning and gets you after life? That's kind of what is being asked. In that same way, I wonder, if I were to go to any of you this morning and stop you and say, would you teach me how to pray? What would you say? How would you answer today? That's what this disciple is asking. Verse 2, Jesus said, this is how you should pray. Now, I would love this morning for us to read this prayer together, and and I've chosen kind of a familiar way that you might have had it memorized if you grew up knowing this, and uh, we're going to just follow along on the screen together, mainly so we don't get tripped up on that one line when you're saying, is uh, is it trespasses? Is it debts? Is it sin? What am I supposed to say? You know, I grew up Baptist. I'm supposed to say this. Okay, forget all that. Uh, We made it very simple for you this morning. We're going to follow along, and so would you Would you just join me this morning in reciting the Lord's Prayer? Here we go. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us day by day our daily bread and forgive us our sins as we also forgive everyone who sins against us. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. I can see how you memorize it. I heard some, some thighs flowing out uh, of you. Yeah, that's good. That's good. So let's take a look at this first phrase. Our Father in heaven. Our Father in heaven. If you look back in Matthew 6, where the Lord's Prayer shows up, just before the Lord's Prayer, we find that Jesus in his teaching actually gives a a few of these kind of like guideline rules for praying. And he says, hey, when you go out on the streets, don't go out and use like these long run-on sentence prayers. Don't just go out for like public appearance to look like, you know, you're the, the high and mighty prayer and you just ramble on and on. He said that's what the pagans actually do, which is weird because it doesn't seem like pagans would pray, but that's Jesus's comparison. Keep it short, keep it succinct. And he says, go into your prayer room or go pray by yourself. Some of your translations actually say, go into your closet and pray. It's interesting that Jesus would say to go pray by yourself, but the very first word in the Lord's Prayer is the word our. It's corporate, our. Now, some of you might have ever wondered, is it like an actual closet that Jesus had? Like, did he go into somewhere? I mean, you know, where, where, where would that have been? And the truth is, this is actually called a prayer shawl. Maybe you're, you're familiar uh, with this. And what Jewish men and women would do is they would wear this, this shawl around them. Maybe you've seen it. Um, and they would wear this. And this was what they used to pray. And at the end of the shah, there would be uh, the, the, the tassel with, with the knots, and it would represent the Torah. So Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Now, I've told you before, every junior high and high school age boy, they would have had those books, like, memorized. Memorized. That's how they would recite these prayers we talked about. And here's a fascinating thing, is when they wore this and they decided to pray, what they would do is they'd take this prayer shah, and they would go into their closet, just like this. And they would pray, free of distractions, by themselves, 
And Jesus is saying, look, I want you to go and I want you to be alone and I want you to pray and I don't want you to be distracted. Just pray. I don't want you to be wondering about, you know, like your fantasy football scores and what's going on with that. I don't want you to worry about work or what's going on in the news or when is the next season of Walking Dead going to start at. I don't want you to worry about your text messages or, or even that phantom like, you know, oh, I got a call. Oh, no, I guess false alarm. I don't. I want you to be free of distraction. Because what he wanted you to be distracted by at the very beginning of this prayer is how big God's family is. It's an hour. That when you start with the word hour, I mean, basically what what he's saying is is you're going to this place where it's this great body of believers. We're all in common. You you hear the sound of, of the saints. Everyone that is represented by this great prayer, that's your hour and now the second word that Jesus says is Father. And, and you got to understand this, that in the Bible, in the Old Testament, people didn't call God Father. That wasn't a phrase that was used. It sounds so common to us, but it didn't work that way. They had all these titles that they would give him, like Hashem, the name, uh, Elohim would be the powerful one, Adonai, the Lord. They gave him these names really so that they didn't have to say the most personal name attached to God, which was Yahweh. And then here is Jesus saying, he's my father, personal. He's our father, is where Jesus is going. Do you pray like that? Do you pray knowing that the God of all creation is your heavenly father? That's how Jesus teaches us to pray. I read this story this week about a soldier who had uh, come home from war, and while he was on the battlefield, he was writing these letters to the president, and when he was discharged, he, he actually, in uniform, came up to Pennsylvania Boulevard or, uh, Avenue and to the White House, and he tried to get in kind of unannounced without an appointment, and he was turned away, as you might expect. So in his uniform, he goes to this bench in front of the White House, and he sits, and he's dejected, sad just sits on a bench. While sitting there, this nine-year-old boy walks up and sees a man in uniform. And this little boy loved to dress up in military uniforms, as, as many little boys like to. So he goes up to the, the soldier, super excited, and he says, hi, soldier. And the soldier tried to do his best to interact with the kid, seeing his excitement, but the, the sadness kind of won out. So the boy asks, why are you so sad? And the soldier, for some reason, spills his guts here. And shares everything that he's been experiencing, how he was at war, and he wrote letters to the president, how the president wouldn't meet with him just a few minutes prior. And the nine-year-old boy goes, well, come with me. He walks him to the gate of the White House, waves to the guard, and they're both ushered right in. No sooner had they got into the front door of the house when the boy starts to holler, Dad! Dad! The president comes into the room And he says, "Uh, Dad, uh, there's a soldier here who's been writing you letters, but you won't meet with him. And Abraham Lincoln looks at his son, Todd, and the soldier, and he says, well, I'll meet with him right now. And this is the picture the Apostle Paul gives when he understands in Ephesians chapter 2, for through him, through Jesus, we both have access by the Spirit to the Father. You have access to the Father. Do you believe that when you pray? 
do you, do you pray that way? When you actually get on your knees, when you actually cry out to God, when you kneel and you pray and you focus your attention in that direction, he actually hears you. Do you pray that way? Do you believe that? Do you believe you have access to the Father, that the Father is for you and he is with you? Jesus, teach us to pray. If you want to understand uh, what really the Lord's Prayer is, it's not simply like these nice words or simply like this teaching about how to pray. It's actually going to teach us how to live is what Jesus is doing. The next line, our Father in heaven. Now, when we think about heaven, I don't know about you, but I think about like beauty and perfection and no war, no disease, no pain, no brokenness. We think about the world as it was intended to be, everything like set right. We think about like eternity, right? But when the writers of the Old Testament actually believed in heaven, they, yes, believed it was eternity, but they actually believed it was right here around us. And one of the writers in Psalm actually says, it's as close as our very breath. It wasn't just up there that, like, this prayer is actually going to teach us to take the there here. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Now, hallowed's an interesting word. Um, I don't think I have ever used it in my life other than when I've preached on this passage or talked about this passage. Hallowed, honor, respect, reverence, awe, hallowed be your name. Now, you may not draw this connection, but you need to, that it connects back to the Ten Commandments. When one of the commandments, you know one of the sacred commandments says, you must not misuse the name of the Lord your God. Another way to say that is don't miscarry the name of God. Now, don't miss this here, because this is what has been given to the followers of Jesus Christ, the ability to carry the name of God. You have that privilege, you have that pleasure to carry the name of God. And that name, guess what? That name is hallowed. That name is set apart. That name, as God puts it in the Ten Commandments, is everything to him. And you carry that name. God entrusts us to carry his reputation and to carry his identity to the world. So you got to understand when Jesus is saying this here, when he's teaching us this, our Father in heaven has given you his name, it's holy, and we are to be trusted with it. How are you doing with that? Do you take that responsibility with great joy and great, great excitement? Then he says this, your kingdom come and your will be done. And the idea of kingdom is like, How would this world be if God were to run it? Like if his principles were ultimate truth, ultimate reality. If there was full buy-in to that in our world, what would the world look like? Your kingdom come. Your will be done. Like your will be done. Your desire. The way you dreamed up the world, may it be a reality. And here's the punch of that line. It comes with the next one. Jesus says, on earth as it is in heaven. Uh, Do you see this? Do you see the progression Jesus is walking through here? It's not just that Jesus is praying words to us. I mean, this is like worldview stuff. This is Christian worldview. How he wants to focus us and shape us and how we see our world. When you're walking around your neighborhood, 
Maybe you're walking through this school, your kid's school, and you say the prayer, may it be in that school. May it be in this school as it is in heaven. Those are powerful words. Or when you're walking maybe around your neighborhood or driving, may it be in that neighborhood. May it be in that business. May it be in that entertainment venue. May it be in Greensboro as it is in heaven. Do you know what this prayer does if you pray it that way? When you pray this prayer, it's not putting it all on God. What you're saying and joining in, you're saying to God, I want to partner with you, God, in bringing the there here. I want to partner with you. I'm not just going to sit back and say, God, it's all on you. I want to be right involved, bringing there here to this place where I live. Why? Because we honestly believe that when his kingdom comes and his will would be done, that heaven invades earth. And God uses me as an ambassador to do this. It's not just a prayer to simply be recited. Like, this is a prayer to take ownership of. It's a prayer that directs us how to live. It's a prayer that we use to reach the rest of the world. But then Jesus paints a couple, like, real practical pictures to remind us of this relationship with the Father, these next couple lines. He starts with this one. He says, Give us day by day our daily bread. This day our daily bread may be how you know it the best. And when you think about daily bread, it's actually a reminder of when God provided manna from heaven for the the Israelites when they were in the wilderness. Just enough for their journey, just enough for that day, their daily bread. It's, It's just a meal. It's not even a glamorous meal, but he provides. And he's saying, look, all the way down to your smallest needs, all the way down to your most minute needs, all the way down to just the things that we sometimes even take for granted, he's saying here, I provide that. I will provide it for you. You will have that. And he says, you know what? Your needs, they matter to me. Do you believe that? That your needs matter to God? And do you pray that way? Jesus is actually inviting this community who is looking to him and and wanting to learn from him how to pray— He's teaching them to put their full dependence on God for their needs. Now, if we're not careful, this is what we do. We take the last 5% of our project or our problem to God. We go at the end, already, we're already in foreclosure, and we say, you know, God, um, I'm going to bring you into this situation here. Our marriage is already failing, and we say, God, I want to kind of bring you into this situation God, I'm, I'm now in this job, and it's just been a havoc and a wreck on my family. I'd like to bring you into this. And Jesus is reminding us, he's inviting us, look, that, that this prayer is about every need matters, every need you have. So take it to him from the beginning, from the very beginning, and let him be a part of it, because he cares from the very beginning, even down to your daily bread that's significant. Can I just tell you why today I am just as confident moving into a new building as I was a year ago when we like launched this whole campaign and we started down uh, this process? Because I believe as a church, as a, as a family, we took it to the Lord to start at the beginning before we took a single step. We heard the answer and I've got no reason to believe that God has changed anything. 
He's called us to the same things. He wants me to do the same things. He wants you to do the same things. And that would be in front of, front of us, excuse me, because he is still providing. Do you believe that? Do you live like that? Do you pray like that? And then the next line from Jesus, and forgive us our sins as we also forgive everyone who sins against us. Can I just convince you like this is the picture of the good news. This is the picture, a reminder of the cross. Listen to this. Look, Jesus has freed us so that we can free others. Sadly, for many of us, we've received this grace of God and we cannot seem to set anyone else free. We hold on to it. It's kind of like our way of saying, thank you, God, for giving it to us and looking at somebody else and say, you're just, you're not good enough for it. I'm not going to offer it to you. Can I just remind you today that the invitation of the gospel and how Jesus teaches us here in this prayer is your sins have been forgiven. Your debt has been paid. And now may you go and extend that freedom to somebody else. Can you do that? Or do you want to hang on to resentment, holding on to the past? Jesus, teach us to pray. Forgive us our sins as we also forgive everyone who sins against us. And the amazing thing is this, the bread and the debts, um, they're not just like spiritual or theological to Jesus's audience here. Uh, I mean, in the ancient Middle East here, and and think about Jesus's disciples who had left everything to follow him as they're hearing this, uh, that they don't even know where their next meal is going to come half the time as they're moving around. It's It's interesting. Jesus uses the metaphor of daily bread, daily provision. It would have been something that would have been on their minds all the time. And living in the Roman Empire, as the Roman Empire came in, and the Roman Empire would find ways to occupy your your land, and, and you would be in debt to the Roman Empire, all the way to the point where you actually could be enslaved to the Roman Empire, indentured servant having to work for the empire oftentimes on the, own, the same land you used to own. And so you can see this metaphor for your debts. Your debts have been forgiven. That would have been just in their head, as many of them would have been under debt to the Roman Empire. Jesus is very clever in using these and the power of these two metaphors. Then it closes with these last lines, and do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. I just wonder, what's the temptation? Temptation, I think it's just simply this. Anything that is other than the kingdom of God. Anything that is other than the kingdom of God is distraction. Anything that's going to distract me from like seeing how heaven can invade earth and how God can use me. The distraction to kind of stay numb, to just want to kind of coast and breeze, to kind of just roll through our neighborhood without a thought, to forget that God wants to use me to reach others. Just be distracted to his purposes entirely. And this, I think, is what the enemy wants to do. He's what the evil one wants to do to us. He wants to make you, like, anxious. He wants to stress you out. He wants to make you so busy and overcomplicated. He wants to put you in positions where you just feel like you've forgotten about the invitation that is the Lord's Prayer. And I just wonder if the enemy just sits back sometimes and he looks and he goes, man, look at that person. They are so stressed out. 
or look at that person, they're so filled with resentment, or man, that person right there, they are so apathetic because of their past disappointments in life, or look at that person, they are so overscheduled with sports and hobbies and dance and birthdays, kingdom values aren't, aren't even where, anywhere close to high priority for them. They are so distracted, victory. And Jesus is saying, lead us, Lord, not into temptation. Lead us away from distraction. May it be instead always all about your kingdom. May we have the eyes and ears to that be just really empowered by the Spirit to know that what you want to do is have your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven and use me to that end. And then Jesus finishes out with this statement, and there's some debate among biblical scholars as to if this was part of the original prayer, if this was like a closing to a, a prayer added on later. And that's why it may not even show up in your translation as you're reading along. For yours is the kingdom. It's not mine. It's yours. And the power, power is not in the Roman Empire. It's not in like your salary. It's not in what car you drive. The power is yours, God. And the glory, it's your glory, forever and ever. Amen. And I think that it's easy for us at times to say, yes, 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 uh, it's your kingdom. Yes, 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 it's, you know, it's your power. But glory, I I want that. (laughs) I'd like that part. I I want the weight of people seeing me. I want people to affirm me. I want me to be given the credit. I would like the award in the end. And Jesus is saying, look, how we live, how we orient our life, it's simply to recognize his kingdom, his power, and it's for his glory. Not just for today, like on Sunday mornings when we come together, it is forever, forever. He said, from now until forever and ever, it is all about him. That is what we're being taught to pray. And the prayer closes with a simple word that all of our prayers seem to close with, right? Amen. Which literally means this. That which I prayed is truth. It's life. And I want in. Like, when you say amen at the end of prayer, that's what you're proclaiming. That's truth. That's life. And I want in. Jesus prays this. He proclaims it with this word, Simple word. You've said it a hundred times. Amen. And in doing so, he says, go and live this prayer out. Don't let it just recess into something recited ever so often. Live it out. Now, here's what I'd like to do this morning uh, for us. I want to put this prayer back up on the screen. And in a minute, I'm going to ask you to read it, to recite it again with us. And what it's going to be is it's going to be the launch into your own personal prayer time for the next few minutes here. I've invited our praise team if they would, they would sing a song in the background, but, but it's your time to go before God. And then they're going to break the song, and I would like to pray for you as your senior pastor and pray for the church as a whole. And I'd like to specifically pray that the Lord would lead us and guide us in living out this prayer as a church family. So as we read this prayer together and we say forever and ever, I'm going to ask you to hold from saying amen because I'm going to say that for us and all together at the end 
of our corporate prayer. And together when we say amen at that point, we're declaring this prayer to be true life and we want in. So I invite you to do one more thing as we launch into this prayer at the end of reciting. I want to invite you this morning, if the Lord just needs you to get into a different posture, if right where you're at, you're just like, I just need to kneel before the Lord to go on my knees. I I, I realize we're on a gym floor. It's not the most comfortable. But maybe God has led you to just kneel and get in a different posture and go before him. Please do that. If this morning... God has just said, you know, come forward, get out of your seat, move. Come up to these stairs, which we use as our altar, and would you just pray during this time? However you need to, we want to invite you to pray. So in just a second, I'm going to lead us in this. We're going to recite it together. We're going to refrain from saying amen. And for the next few minutes, as the praise team leads us, I want to invite you to personally pray. They'll, they'll pause and I will pray for us corporately. Together we'll say amen. And then I'm going to invite you to stand and, and sing the, the last part of this verse that the praise team uh, will lead us in. Let's say again together the Lord's Prayer. Would you join me? Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us day by day our daily bread and forgive us our sins as we also forgive everyone who sins against us. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever.